0: Or Whatever Movies with Wesley and Iris. What up, and welcome to Or Whatever Movies. I'm your co-host, Iris, and I'm here with my older brother.
1: A totally from Wesley, and that is our discussion of 2013's Brad Pitts, Sir Steve McQueen's 12 Years a Slave.
0: Thank you for listening, (laughs) and we'll see you next time.
1: (laughs) Notice I didn't venture a good from Iris.
0: Why not? I don't know.
1: You have your own mind. I'm not going to speak for you.
0: Did you not notice my extremely low energy entering into this episode? Uh,
1: Are you dreading it?
0: I'm like, come on, Wes. We're going to go from leaving Las Vegas to 12 years a slave. Jeez.
1: So I'm putting myself in the unenviable position of now defending myself for this movie because after leaving Las Vegas, I couldn't even get Kelly Ray to watch this one.
0: Watching Twelve Years a Slave is like, okay, this is real tragedy. Like leaving Las Vegas is is a pretty big bummer, but it's kind of like this white people privileged bummer.
1: <laughs> have the money to drink yourself to death in like one of the most
0: one of the most debaucherous, like yes, glitteriest places in the world. Like, did Nicolas Cage's Benjamin really have it that bad?
1: <laughs> I guess not. It was all under his own terms, right? He wasn't oppressed by anyone except the dude in the bar that head butted him.
0: <laughs> right. And so talk about perseverance and having hope. I mean, Chiwetel Ejiofor, did I get that yep. right? His Solomon Northup, I mean, wow. Talk about maintaining hope.
1: What, you mean the role he didn't win Best Actor for?
0: Yeah, kind of a shame. And I am I know that Lupita Nyong'o, did I get that yep. right?
1: As far as I'm aware.
0: Won. And I'm glad that Michael Fassbender didn't win. Not that his Edward Wood Epps performance didn't deserve it, it's just it would have been really weird if Michael Fassbender won and Chiwetel Ejioforg did for.
1: Maybe. I guess that's a fair point. It's interesting because in order to process this movie in an I like this movie, I don't like this movie kind of way, you kind of have to look at it from a Hollywood perspective. We're talking about the actors, we're talking about performances and awards recognition, right? I mean, you kind mm-hmm. of have to distance yourself because who likes the theme? And it's like watching, enjoying watching Patsy get whipped in *12 Years a Slave*. I think this movie is a great example of something that stands apart from the actual content of the story not that there's a tremendous amount about the making of this movie that's that's made headlines or whatever but you have to distance yourself from it in such a way as to say this is a thing that's put there for enjoyment do you think it matters that most of the principals involved uh in this movie were british steve mcqueen sir steve mcqueen knighted this year as a matter of fact in early t- 2022 lupita nyong'o Michael Fassbender, Chiwetel Ejiofor, even Benedict Cumberbatch, there were some Americans, but by and large, this story told of oppression and uh, restriction of freedom for one Solomon Northup were all not American does there have to be legitimacy or accountability kind of or, or do we have to be removed from that in order to move forward with a with a, an audacious picture like this
0: i don't think it's necessary to have that layer of removal i think that i think the question is how does the fact that these are not americans affect the performance i mean it seems like maybe the actors themselves needed that distance and that objectivity i do think it's interesting to note and i'm sure this is factually correct that brad pitt's character brad pitt who is american plays a canadian and it's a canadian who kind of you know is the white savior in this movie so to speak
1: yeah the worst role in this movie i think
0: yeah it really is the weakest in a lot of ways and it's not surprising that brad pitt would want this kind of heroic role but it's not the best performance
1: no, it doesn't make sense after Epps's suspicion of Platt or Solomon. After he, after the amazing Garrett Dillhunt, uh, really screws up his opportunity to get a letter out. Thankfully, Epps didn't Awful. know the content of the letter. But why would he let Solomon work alone with a known sympathizer like Bass, who has no problem telling him that he's evil for his, for his, uh, how how he keeps his slaves?
0: Exactly. Especially after they have their confrontation, Epps and Bass. Right.
1: So whatever. Uh, it works well for Brad Pitt. He was criticized for taking that role upon himself. But to be frank, like taking this movie out of its, you know, uh, out of its thematic context, it's true. Knowing that Brad Pitt is in the movie helps it get made, helps it get sold. Uh, as a matter of fact, I think it was in Italy That the poster, the primary poster for 12 Years a Slave, featured Michael Fassbender and Brad Pitt and not Chiwetel Ejiofor. Like, that's weird, right? And they were like, hey, what's up with that? That's not right. And Italy was like, whoever the representatives were, said, well, Brad Pitt is more known in Italy than Chiwetel Ejiofor. So it comes down to that. I don't know if there's deeper meaning. I I don't really like I'm not pointing any fingers or whatever, but I do want to make sure that I correct to say that, you know, a lot of these people are British. But Lupita Nyong'o was born in Mexico and is from Kenya and not is not British. I'm aware that Michael Fassbender is, in fact, Irish. So representation is important or whatever. I'm just saying that. The way this movie is perceived is kind of as telling as anything uh, about the movie itself, you know, different uh, internationally, and, and how we as Americans, where the depictions of slavery actually took place. They filmed the movie on a plantation, on a slaver plantation. It's Mm. very interesting to examine.
0: Yeah, I guess it's also important to note that in 2013, a lot of these actors weren't the stars that they are today.
1: Lupita Nyong'o didn't even have an agent when she uh, auditioned for Patsy.
0: Right. Now she's an Academy Award winning actor who...
1: Because of it.
0: Right. And has gone on to additional acclaim.
1: Nothing big, though. Only Star Wars.
0: Yeah, exactly. And, you know, also in watching, watching this 2013 movie in 2022, I was like, whoa. The stars just keep coming. Benedict Cumberbatch is huge. Yeah.
1: Even Paul Giamatti's in there. Boy, reprehensible. You remember when he said, uh, you know, who, who was, what was your former master's name? And he said, uh, master name Freeman. I thought that was a joke. Like, I thought that because he, he's a free man and that was who his master was before, right? Uh, like a little thing that he said, but that was Paul Giamatti's name. But the the traitor was Freeman, which is ironic. Who was horrible.
0: Very very ironic if there's anyone who, who was, was horrible, horrible
1: next to epps right it would have been freeman
0: would you say that epps is the most reprehensible character
1: oh absolutely because freeman was all his his sympathy extends the length of a coin that's really it epps was downright sadistic
0: you know there these characters the white slavers are, are oftentimes sadistic and does that make us kind of masochistic to watch this film i don't know
1: i don't know so I'll go on record saying that I love this movie and was excited to talk about it. And I'm trying to pin down why that love, if that love, I'm sure it is. Cause I feel good about it. I just don't know why, how to justify that love to a listening public. Uh, I think Neil Brennan said it best in his three mic special. He said, let's play uh but you know, sounds racist, isn't racist. There's a lot of good slave movies out, you know, these days. And, uh, <laughs> you can't oh. you can't enjoy this movie. <laughs> well, I wonder because there are lots of movies like American History X, which was about neo Nazis, right? Do neo Nazis watch that movie and they love the Nazi parts, but then they don't care about the ending? Like, do the, I guess there are mobsters who love Goodfellas, even though the whole thing is about taking down an aspect of the mob? They love the mobster parts. Maybe neo Nazis love the Nazi parts of American history X, and maybe racists love the Epps parts of 12 years a slave. Although I cannot, I I just, I can't imagine a world where that's a thing. Does that contribute to sales? That's so bizarre to think. But it's very, very dark. And I think that it's risk taking for good looking white boy, Brad Pitt from *Thelma and Louise fame or whatever, originally to hold an Oscar for his plan B producing 12 years a slave. Like this is risk taking, Filmmaking, Even, you know, oh, yeah, it's by a black filmmaker, but he's British and and and, you know, maybe it's it's a, a lack of accountability in that respect. But to make this movie for Plan B to make Moonlight is saying we want to these are amazing stories that we feel deserve to be told has nothing whatsoever to do. I don't think I mean, all movies are about money because you don't want to lose money in telling a good story, but it's a risk a big risk and one I think that's admirable and just one in terms of enjoyment on I think a film watching level as opposed to an emotionally engaging satisfying experience not satisfying but I was hugely satisfied when I saw this movie in theaters
0: and why is that because you were moved
1: I saw this before it was a thing I'm actually kind of proud of that I, I saw this movie and pinned it as the best picture almost right off the bat. So the story goes, 2013, uh, our buddy Eric and I were in Telluride and saw this little nothing movie, and we went primarily because Dee, Dee Gardner, Jeremy Kleiner, Brad Pitt were going to be in a Q&A for a movie called 12 Years a Slave. Okay, let's go. And I was blown away in the theater. I had already seen Gravity, and Eric's like, well, Gravity's also a big contender. As a matter of fact, Gravity... At, finished in a tie, which almost never happens, at the DGA Awards 2013 with 12 Years a Slave. Much like question of which of those would come out ahead as a Best Picture frontrunner. They were both nominated. And I was like, no way. 12 Years a Slave blows it away. And so we watched the movie, and we're walking out of the Werner Herzog Theater at the south end of town, and I'm walking next to Steve McQueen and Dede Gardner and Jeremy Kleiner Having just heard them in the Q&A and we're walking in the twilight and I'm trying to muster the courage of saying I'm a nothing producer, but I understand, I think, and respect and admire what you do. And I want to be a part of it, like not money or anything like that. Like, I just want to be a part of this world. And that was the time when I could have said it before it won Best Picture and all this acclaim. And people ask me sometimes, so what's, what's good coming out? And I'm like, oh, there's a movie called, you haven't heard of Avatar? It's going to change the way movies are made at the end of the year. And they're like, oh, okay, whatever. And I did the same thing here. Watch for a movie called 12 Years a Slave, because it's going to blow everybody away and it's going to win Best Picture. But I didn't say it to Dee, Dee Gardner and Jeremy Kleiner. I didn't say anything to Steve McQueen. We just walked in the twilight to our next movie or to sushi or whatever we were going to do after that. And I regret that.
0: Is this like your great, this is your your great regret? Yeah, there
1: are a few of them, and I can point to them in my professional career in, I guess, the entertainment industry. And then they won Best Picture. And then a few years uh, later, they won for Moonlight. And so in a way, I considered this my little gem that I knew about that nobody else seemed to know about, at least in terms of my absolute assurity that it would win Best Picture. But how are you sure? As sure as I was that No Country for Old Men would best my favorite at the time director, Paul Thomas Anderson's There Will Be Blood, which I thought was great. Daniel Day-Lewis is great. And the fact that those two, my favorite director and favorite actor combined, wouldn't win Best Picture over this uh, this Coen Brothers film, I thought was crazy, but absolutely certain. There's no way that, that There Will Be Blood is a better film than No Country for Old Men. There's no way that 12 Years a Slave, in my humble opinion, is a worse film than Gravity. And had Gravity won, it would have been kind of an injustice as far as I'm concerned. It's not something that hasn't happened at the Oscars before. But whatever. I was pretty right. assured and thus justified when it actually did happen. I was like, yeah, I called that. And it was with a quiet sense of pride just in recognition of my ability to understand what they were trying to do, what its successes were, even what its failures were. I mean, they're going all out in the mud and screaming and crying and being terrible mm-hmm. For the sake of art that was not meant to be enjoyed so much as it was to be Mm -hmm. admired and reveled in as a courageous act, I guess, in service of Solomon Northup.
0: I do think it's kind of sweet that you believe in justice in Hollywood and that somehow the that the cream will rise to the top in terms of Oscars. It's kind of sweet. And I want to hold on to some some aspect of that hope that it isn't entirely about Favoritism, nepotism, and commercialism. No, but
1: but get but understand, please, that this is only for like. Do awards mean anything? Do they mean that they're the very best movie? No. But Steve McQueen, who was a relatively small director uh, before Twelve Years of Slave, now has the ability based on that to get other projects made. Being awarded only means that they acknowledge that these are quality, this is quality output and that they will take a a harder, closer look next time you want to fund something that may be risky uh, and not necessarily, you know, the most commercial thing.
0: So let's talk about the film, 12 Years a Slave. I have to say that the sadistic white slavers and their lackeys kind of started to blend together for me. Like, is Paul Dano really different from... Paul Giamatti or Michael Fassbender.
1: I mean, not necessarily. Just in their application of power, right? It seems like Freeman at Paul Giamatti's character knew what his power was. He his was absolute. It was all about money, and he didn't care. They were, you know, hey, jump and perform for this guy, run in place or whatever. It was gross. So he kept smacking them in the chest like that. Started to bother me, <laughs> but oh, but it, Paul Dano's um, Tibbets, Tibbets, yep. yeah he was not a powerful guy he was a scrawny little not he wasn't even an overseer right he was just a he was a carpenter i think yep. architect something like that but he carpenter. definitely revelled in what little power he had over the slaves these are the only people he could command whereas the other the other overseer guy could totally pull a gun on him and put him in his place so he exercised that opportunity i don't know that when uh Freeman would finish dinner or whatever he'd just go in and smack people but it seems like that's something that uh, Tibbets would do and so he was deliberately cruel when there was no cause for it and that was just him trying to assert what little power he had as by, because of insecurity because Solomon could propose the downriver transport of the wood you know and and he's you know reacted badly like I can't I can't quote this movie the only why? Does. Just can't, I can't quote Tibbetts' response when he proposes the waterway for the logs.
0: Because you can't use the N-word? Yeah. Arguably, the person who with, with the least amount of power, the white person with the least amount of power, is is arguably Armsby, who finds his own way to wield it. Yep. So I think you're on to something there.
1: Leverages it. Garrett Dillahunt. Uh, the white cotton picker the hired hand who wasn't a slave but was in with the slaves you know for a day's wage
0: because he had debts yeah.
1: and a problem with the drink it's hard to believe that 12 years a slave it's hard to believe that epps and subsequently platt weren't really whipping her like you felt it so keenly this the crack of the whip and seeing the marks etched in her back, it's horrible to see. And and he's so violent and, and she's like gagging and passing out and stuff. And the rape stuff was all horrible. Like it's really difficult to be like, how could that be fun? Lupita Nyong'o in her Oscar speech said, this was the joy of my life. It's like, really? But taking this back to a filmmaking perspective, I mean, it's one of the rawest, grittiest scenes ever, and it's horrifying to watch. And I hear that Michael Fassbender had somebody paint, uh, or paint his mustache with a paintbrush, or uh, with with booze, so that every time he screamed in someone's face, they could smell the booze on his breath.
0: I do recall like flecks, like droplets, like flying off of his mouth too. Yeah, he's all so like
1: committed to being horrible. And even as an actor, he's still screaming right in people's ears. Unless they did it, unless he just mouthed it and they added the yelling in post. He's like, Striker! Like right in Chirotel Four's ear and there's spit flying off his face and stuff and his mustache is covered in booze. And he's running around chasing- I did notice that. Didn't he jump over the fence and eat it like twice with a knife in his hand?
0: Yeah. The first time he eats it in the pigsty- And then he eats it right outside of the pigsty. And that one I definitely rewatched. I was like, dude, is that Michael Fassbender? It's one shot. I'm not
1: sure that it was intentional. I mean, how do you do it that convincingly? I think he meant to hop the fence and (laughs) ate it and they kept it because it's a great shot. And obviously, uh, athletic Michael Fassbender would keep in character. But the the point I was making is that. Supposedly, I don't know how true this is. Supposedly, Michael Fassbender like passed out after one of the whipping takes or something. But I do know that they had a thing. He and Lupita Nyong'o, who were kind of partners in this, as horrible as the the Epps and. Patsy relationship was the actors were friends, you know? And so they would like do this thing, they called it making nice, where they would hold each other's hands and look into each other's eyes and kind of connect for just a minute before he then had to do awful things to her and she had to scream and roll her eyes. And, oh my God. and there's some and there's a lot of guilt.
0: Traumatizing. There's a
1: lot of guilt going around for just, you know, I mean, Leonardo DiCaprio r- reportedly had a really hard time in Django Unchained, saying the N-word and etc. and there are, you know, things like violence and, and, and rape and assault and things like that. There are oftentimes the actors will immediately finish the take and then pr- apologize profusely as though they are, you know, the perpetrators of that act in real life, whereas they just mm. feel the guilt of having to mimic it. I think there was a lot of that happening on 12 Years a Slave because... It's very clear that people are treating other people horribly.
0: Horribly. I'm sure there was tons of trauma to go around and lots of therapy to follow up the making of 12 Years a Slave. But I suppose the product justifies it because, as you said, this is the the grittiest, rawest, most bleak kind of representation of historical reality and one that has a rare, quote unquote, happy ending.
1: I guess not for Patsy.
0: Certainly not for Patsy. And I had to think to myself, like, what? Like, t- please tell me that Solomon, you know, went went back for the one dude on the ship who was in a similar place for him and who didn't die right. and get thrown overboard. Re-
1: reunited Eliza and her children.
0: <laughs> please tell me that he came back for Patsy. Like, after an experience like that. Well, I mean, and I, and I, I know from the coda that... Northup had a spent the rest of his life in advocacy even though his his ultimate end is unknown.
1: Don't know. But, uh, mm. but do know unfortunately that happy ending as you called it is him being taken back to his family and crying and hugging his grandchild and stuff. But no justice for the men who enslaved him. No justice for Freeman. No justice for Epps. No salvation for Patsy or uh, for Eliza and her children. Kind of sad and unresolved in a way.
0: Well, it's the kind of injustice that there's just no resolution for. There really isn't. The
1: Benedict Cumberbatch character was a good character who, you know, didn't want ill of his slaves but was still a slaver and sold him to the worst slaver imaginable.
0: Prides himself on being a a slave breaker.
1: And knew that, willingly. So is he good? I I don't know. But he's, he's less, only because he's less reprehensible than Epps.
0: In certain ways, but not in others. I mean, when it came down to it, it was still about the dollar, right? Benedict Cumberbatch's character, I forget what his name was, did not want to lose money on his debt and still regarded, even though he respected North for his many talents, he still regarded him as being less than human. So
1: I looked it up and it seems absurd to be able to adjust prices for inflation or for time to find out what a a human being is worth. But. The indications point to the idea that the debt that Master Ford over, over which he transferred ownership of Platt to Epps was, what, $800? No, he bought her, him for 1000 and Eliza for 800 And that equates to somewhere between twenty-seven dollars and $30,000, which obviously in modern days is, as a price, not inconsiderable, but it, because they were traded as commodities. Like, it's terrible and all that, but also you know, if a, if <sighs> see, there's no way to justify it in a modern context. He says, surely you understand. Never said anything like, I swear to you that your debt will be repaid in full or anything if you just let me send a letter. But still, um, he said, you know, I cannot hear that. I, I cannot hear what you're telling me, regardless of, of its veracity, because he had a debt, and it was a considerable debt that he transferred to Edwin Epps. But is there a world where his character was wrong for saying, just because you have a story doesn't mean I'm going to be out 30 grand?
0: He, I don't See, know. I mean, I guess it's a, difficult. <laughs> it's it's difficult because there's a very American notion of like, you got to pull yourself up by your bootstraps and help yourself. But not in the instance of someone who has no options. Yep. This this movie is like a perpetual game of bad or worse decisions. It's like the most horrible, traumatic, awful, nightmarish choose your own adventure where don't you didn't you find yourself constantly assessing what you would do? Absolutely. In Northup's situation, at every turn?
1: Yeah, question what he should have said, whether he could appeal to Mistress Epps. And say, you know, she's like, you ever are you asked basically asked him if he was educated and he said a word here or there. And she's like, well, never mind, because you're here to work anymore. Earn you a 100 lashes. Could just say, you know, I don't belong here. And he might have gotten whipped just for the audacity of contradicting his mistress or whatever. It's hard Mm. to know because your work, it's strategy, but he only has so many moves and any one of them could result in death and thus the advice was true keep your head down that is the only way to survive the more you talk the more you're going to get hurt and possibly dead you know that that tree where they hanged those dudes in the film was an actual actual hanging tree surrounded by the graves of slaves
0: oh my god
1: real what i'm saying is from a movie making perspective it's amazing to i i, I don't know I, it's hard to explain i just the the sort of pounding pulsing clacking score that's so so uh, harrowing
0: and then counterposed with the incredibly prolonged silent moments yeah. like i think in contrast with that what you're talking about i think the most profound moments were in silence namely when northup is dangling from the tree like oh. trying to and and tiptoeing in the mud which you feel like is going to give out on him at any moment and then of course the moment after he's exposed himself to Bass and in that kind of inexplicable quiet moment where he looks where he spikes the camera and you're like whoa
1: you know I you're so with it for a moment from a non-filmmaking perspective as an audience member. Are you even aware that he's breaking the fourth wall in that moment? Because that seems like a very weird shot, right? Where it's just him for like a full minute and his eyes pan across the screen, lands on us and then moves away. And it's almost as though we're so much in his head. We so much understand what that troubled to grimace uh, means that that it passes us by, the 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 technicality of that shot. Like, I'm not entirely sure everybody noticed.
0: It was probably the best use of breaking the fourth wall that I've seen in a film where you're not, he's looking at you, but you're not really there. It's not, and it's not about us. It's about, it's entirely about him and giving us that maybe extra angle of insight into his mind. I'd be curious to know what you projected onto that moment.
1: Well, no, it was funny because it was like those comedies where you say something funny and then you wink at the camera. I was like, oh, that's hilarious.
0: It was funny to you? <laughs> no,
1: it wasn't funny. Wait, what? I'm saying that for a fourth wall break, it was meant to pierce directly into your soul. You understand no. what's happening. You and I are connected in this. You feel the pain. And I think you could say there's something in Solomon's story where he was, we can view this. His perspective as a slave, as one who was subjected to slavery against his will—of course, they all were—but to say that he was a free man who understood and tasted the various aspects of of civility and had gone to Canada was an accomplished fiddle player, I guess. And then to see him laid so low was was tough. But that's not a new, you know, a new uh, thing in films. We often can identify with one person who goes through hardship and comes out the other end alive, but changed and guard, like Michael Douglas is the game or whatever. But I, I feel like that moment didn't hit me quite the first time. You know, it's a, it's a precursor. It's the calm before the, the reckoning that happens when he's rescued. But we don't know that that's happening the first time we see it. It's stopping down after, you know, after Bass is the funeral, right? The Roll Jordan Roll funeral. And at that point, he is completely given up. He, it's not like yep. I'm one of them or whatever now. He just realizes that his position is as untenable as theirs, has no hope yep. for resolution at wow. that point. Starts to sing, sings his heart out, some emotionality comes through. Because like them, that is the point at which he can express his hurt, his anger, his frustration that he's kept bottled up for fear of being revealed for whom he was and punished. For being a free man by Epps, and so that's this this quiet introspective like minute long shot of him breaking the fourth wall just before he's rescued when we don't know he's being rescued is just him in the quiet, and we're experiencing the storm in his brain, the storm with no end and no and no real hope for you know for 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 clear skies. That's a terrible analogy.
0: Uh, 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 no, it was not so bad. Not only is it a testament to Chiwetel Ejiofor's performance, you know, I think that that minute might have been as valuable as Anne Hathaway's minute where she won the Oscar. Like he should have won the Oscar for that moment.
1: He, He wasn't even crying or choking or anything. He was just looking around. I can do that. But there's but it's so much but it's built upon so much more of his performance for over two hours in almost every scene.
0: Right. Which. Which is why I was going to say it's also such a testament to the filmmakers and specifically to Cersei McQueen because the movie is is masterfully paced to keep us from completely burning out. These, these little micro scenes that he bakes in that almost work as interstitials are so, so powerful and are really important in terms of pacing and amazing moments of quiet that kind of break up the otherwise awful chaos and trauma of what the Northup character experiences so we know your your rating is totally is there anything you'd like to add to that
1: if there was one word to describe 12 years of slave probably powerful would be it i was gut punched mm-hmm. on this level thematically uh, artistically creatively technically Um, This movie really carries you along, like you said, and you have these breathing moments, but it's labored heavy breathing because we don't know where we're going. This is my kind of movie wherein I go in skeptical, maybe even a little bit concerned, and come out with a private sense of elation. Like, it's miraculous that these things are possible. And it may not be for everybody, but I can see the skill, talent, the dedication in Execution. And it's something that I find hugely admirable and worthy of distinction and accolades and awards in a way that I guess a more conventional, typical moviegoer might not think is the best movie or the one that deserves to win because it's horrible, because it's hard to watch. But sometimes that horror is necessary and the risk is worth taking.
0: Risk has been a theme in this discussion, and I'd add to it bravery care. And commitment on behalf of the filmmakers are what really make 12 Years of Slave special. And I'm happy that it was recognized in 2013 and available for us to review and discuss today. Available on HBO Max. Best Picture winner from 2013, although I think it won in 2014. Let us know what you think. 818-835-0473 or movies at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this discussion, even if the subject matter is hard. And we'll see you next time. Are you passionate about saving the planet for future generations? Do you want to learn how to do it? If yes, then you need to tune in to the nature Back podcast. It's a talk show covering the changing world around us, from renewable energy, sustainable agriculture, circular economy, to ESG and social innovation. Don't miss this opportunity to discover how you can join the movement and make a difference. Subscribe to the NatureBack podcast today on your favorite platform, and get ready to be amazed. Welcome to Sarah Talk Solutions, ladies and gentlemen. You've tuned into a bit of the. type the show. I'm Sarah B. and I'm your host. You can find me on my IG, which is Aussie underscore Sarah underscore LA. I talk about amazing, relevant conversations and topics and what functions that goes on in this magical, wonderful, wonderful city of the City of Angels. My IG, which is Aussie underscore Sarah underscore L-A. Electric.